Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Ellen, your veteran Harry Potter world attender. And I'm Katie, the freshly deflowered Harry Potter world attender. We popped your Jerry! Best weekend ever! Ugh, I hate that phrase. Best weekend ever? Not that one. Oh, which one, Katie? You're not tricking me into saying it, Ellen. Let's just keep rolling into the rolling rehash. Last week, we covered the second half of Chapter 20, the first task, and the corresponding film scenes. Trash Rita brought her obscene cringiness to a lovely possible final hug between friends. Crumb held himself back from pissing on Hermione's shoes to establish ownership. Dumbledore couldn't keep track of how many champions there are anymore. No one acts nearly as surprised as they should when the first task is revealed. Filch's premature munitions emission made everyone jump. The twins cheered for the real hero of the scene, the dragon. And a surplus in the ridiculous and unnecessary CGI budget led to Harry getting chased everywhere for a very long time for no friggin' reason. During episode 87, Mayhem Inevitably Ensues, our Potter pondering was, what are your thoughts on how different the first task was in the movie compared to the book? Mike said he's not a fan, shocker, he knows. He didn't like it because it deviated from the book, but also didn't like it when they were flying all around the grounds. Like, if he were one of the people in the stands watching that shit, he'd be pissed because he couldn't see any of the action. And also, he'd be worried a huge pissed-off dragon that is now loose in the grounds is going to sneak up under his seat like some sewer snake and eat him. Also, the eggs were a big part of why the task was challenging in the books, and were apparently just a shitty prop in the movie, both in that the dragon made no attempt to guard her eggs, and Harry made no real attempt to steal the golden egg until after he killed the effing dragon. Also, shitty that we didn't get to see slash hear anything about the other champions the way we did after Harry finished when talking about it afterwards. He actually thinks an improvement on the book would have been to show the other champions, because more dragons equals good. I mean, I gotta agree with him on that. Yeah. yeah. Max wishes Harry had gotten hurt more. Obviously, because it's Max. No, but seriously, he could hate the movie version if they hadn't done such an amazing job of animating that dragon. Such an incredible job. I will give them that. Mm-hmm. Robert says, in his opinion, they both suck. Practically just hearing snippets from Bagman in the books and getting a rundown from Ron while in the movies you watch Harry while noises are going on in the background. Also, fucking fire-breathing flying lizards in a wooden arena? What the actual fuck? He would say cut the stupid director, cut the unnecessary bullshit, make the movie two parts and add in the Quidditch World Cup, not part of this pondering but still pissed about it and show us what the champions actually did and make the movie actually worth watching. Okay, Robert, go to your happy place. Mmm, tacos. <laughs> That's my happy place, too. What? I'll meet you there, Robert. Meet. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking A. 
Quincy said he thinks that shit was a fucking ripoff. They blew the whole budget on a dragon for no reason because the whole scene with the dragon was extended. We could have gotten a lot of cool things and instead we got shit. A steaming pile of corn-filled shit. Thank you for that visual image. Yep. Appreciate that, Quince. Dave said that he didn't like that neither had a detailed account of how the other champions handled the task. The books had Ron give a short synopsis, but he really wanted to see it described in real time in the book or shown in the movie. He thinks fans would have really enjoyed that, but even how Harry did it in the book was boring. The movie added stuff was cool. A loose giant dragon on school grounds, hanging off a building with his broom about to fall. That was great suspense right there. Nicely done. Way to make a boring part of the book exciting. Juliana said the extended scene with the dragon was unnecessary. It also defeats the point that Harry got the egg quicker than the other champions. That budget could have gone to other things, like the third task. But she's getting ahead of herself. Lisa Lata said in the beginning, it's not bad. But when the dragon releases herself and chases Harry around the castle, ridiculous. No one flies after them to prevent this dragon from attacking Harry and the other people or destroying property, which is what happened. And are we to believe that the dragon is dead now? That's also kind of horrible. Mm-hmm. Carly said, ugh. Adding all the drama was so pointless. Isn't a dragon exciting enough? She wishes they had shown the time after where Ron and Harry make up. You know, when Harry was awarded points and shit. She just wished that someone had been like, y'all, stop streamlining stuff. The book was great on its own. You don't have to keep changing slash adding stuff. Amanda said that she hates that they thought they needed to add a damn chase scene instead of showing us that Harry is able to use his brain and has some tactical prowess by luring the dragon slowly away. The first task was so interesting and exciting to read. Watching it, though, she was so bored. It was such a cliche. She actually got up to pee during that scene at the movie theater. (laughs) (laughs) Alice said that the first task in the book was a lot better. She wishes they had kept the book version and included some creatures in the maze instead. Right? Yeah. Jackson said while the movie version was exciting, it was overly long. The book version was better because, one, it had the dragon be a nesting mother with her own eggs, which makes more sense than just randomly putting the golden egg in there with them. And two, while it wouldn't have gone on as long, he thinks the fast-paced book version with Harry flying over the dragon to get her up would just work better. Sarah said the extensive chase scene was obviously a great cinematic moment, but she still says why fix something that wasn't broken? She thinks that motto goes for the whole series. I can't say I disagree there. Neither can I. Great responses this week. Mm Mm-hmm. Our trivia question last week was, how much are Fred and George charging for canary creams? The Weasley twins are charging the bargain price of seven sickles each. And congratulations goes to... Mike Riley! He did it! He finally tied the record! Yep. He joins Quincy and Max as record holders for trivia streaks at eight weeks. That rhymes. Yeah, it does. (laughs) Will he get the correct answer this week and break their record? Or will one of them stop him? 
Or will someone new sweep in for the win? We shall see. For now, let's just keep rolling into Chapter 21, The House Elf Liberation Front, and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 21, The House Elf Liberation Front The newly reunited trio all head up to the Allery that evening, so Harry can use Pigwidgeon to send Sirius a letter about getting past his dragon unscathed. Harry fills Ron in on what Sirius told him about Karkarov. And though shocked at first, by the time they reach the Allery, Ron says that they should have suspected it all along, since it fits with what Malfoy was saying on the train about his dad being friends with Karkaroff. He figures they knew each other from being Death Eaters together, but also thinks that if Karkaroff did put Harry's name in, he's got to be feeling really stupid since it didn't work and Harry barely has a scratch on him. He snatches his overexcited owl out of the air and tells Harry that he doesn't think the other tasks could be as dangerous and that he reckons he could win the tournament. Harry figures he's just saying this to make up for his past behavior but still appreciates it. However, Hermione points out that he's got a long way to go before finishing the tournament, saying that if dragons was the first task, she hates to see what comes next. Ron teases her for being pessimistic and tosses Pigwidgeon out the window with Harry's letter. The weight of it causes the owl to plummet 12 feet before pulling himself up because Harry hadn't been able to resist giving a blow-by-blow description of his encounter with the Hungarian horntail. The trio watches as the bird disappears into the darkness, and Ron tells Harry they better get downstairs for his surprise party, expecting Fred and George will have nicked enough food from the kitchens by then. They enter the Gryffindor common room and it explodes with cheers and yells again. There are mountains of cakes, flagons of pumpkin juice and butterbeer, and Lee Jordan set off some filibusters fireworks. Dean Thomas drew some banners of Harry zooming around the horntail's head and some of Cedric Diggory with his head on fire. Feeling properly hungry for the first time in a while, Harry helps himself to food and is extremely happy that he won't have to deal with the next task for three months. Lee Jordan picks up the egg and comments how heavy it is, telling Harry to open it so they can see what's inside. Hermione says that Harry's supposed to work out the clue on his own, but Harry whispers to her that he was supposed to work out how to get past the dragon alone too, and she grins guiltily. Several other people tell him to open the egg and Lee passes it to Harry, who works his fingernails into the groove that runs around it and pries it open. The egg itself is completely empty, but a horrible, loud, screechy wailing fills the room. Fred clamps his hands over his ears and yells for Harry to shut it. Harry slams it shut again, and Seamus wonders what that was, saying it sounded a bit like a banshee, thinking he may have to get past one of those next. Neville thinks it was someone being tortured and declares that he's going to have to fight the Cruciatus Curse prompting George to call him a prat and remind him that it's illegal. His theory is that it sounds like Percy singing, so he thinks Harry will have to attack him in the shower. He innocently offers a jam tart to Hermione, and as she dubiously looks at the plate, he insists he hasn't done anything to them. He adds on that it's the custard creams she has to watch out for, and Neville, who had just bitten into one, chokes and spits it out. Fred laughs and the twins insist that it's just a joke. 
Hermione accepts a jam tart and asks if they got all the food from the kitchens, wondering how they got in there. Fred tells her about the concealed door behind a painting of a bowl of fruit, saying that you have to tickle the pear and it giggles. He cuts himself off to look suspiciously at her, wondering why and worrying that she's going to try to lead the house elves on a strike and put them off their cooking. Several people laugh, but they are distracted when Neville turns into a large canary. The laughter increases and Fred shouts over it that he forgot it was the custard creams they hexed. Within minutes, Neville molts and looking entirely normal, even joins in laughing. Fred announces that they are canary creams that he and George invented and can be bought at the bargain price of seven sickles. It's nearly one in the morning by the time Harry goes up to the dormitory with Ron, Neville, Seamus, and Dean. Before closing his bed curtains, he puts the little model of the Hungarian horntail on his bedside table and decides that Hagrid has a point. Dragons are all right. December brings wind and sleet to Hogwarts, and Harry is very grateful whenever he sees the Durmstrang ship in the Bobaton's caravan, which are both likely to be very chilly. He also notices that Hagrid is keeping Madame Maxime's horses well provided with the single malt whiskey, as the fumes keep wafting up from the trough and making the entire Care of Magical Creatures class lightheaded. This is a problem since they're still dealing with the Scroots, and Hagrid has them trying to convince the creatures to hibernate by forcing the ten remaining Scroots into pillow-lined boxes and nailing them in. They apparently do not hibernate, and chaos ensues, leading the majority of the class to barricade themselves into Hagrid's cabin as Harry, Ron, Hermione, and Hagrid work to restrain the Scroots. As they try to round up the last one, Rita Skeeter shows up and comments on how much fun it looks. Hagrid asks who she is, and she introduces herself as the Daily Prophet reporter, then ignores Hagrid when he asks about Dumbledore banning her from the school. She instead asks about the Scroots, saying she's never heard of them before, and Hermione starts to worry that Hagrid did something illegal to get them. She loudly comments that they are very interesting and asks for Harry's confirmation, calling him by name to distract Rita. She looks around and sees Harry and asks him if Care of Magical Creatures is one of his favorite lessons. Harry says yes, and Rita begins asking more about Hagrid's teaching career as she notices all of the injured students, most of which are hiding in Hagrid's hut. She requests an interview to share some of his experience of magical creatures, and Harry has a bad feeling about it. Hermione still worries that Hagrid got the Scroots illegally, but Ron figures the worst that could happen is that he has to get rid of them, before then pointing out that would be the best thing. They all laugh and head to lunch. Divination is much better than usual since he again has Ron as a friend, and they proceed to joke and laugh throughout Trelawney's lesson. Harry is no longer impressed by her elaborate announcements of death since she's done it about 80 times. The lesson ends and they head down to dinner. Hermione isn't there, so they decide to go looking for her after and first check the library. The only person there is Victor Crumb, and Ron debates asking him for an autograph, until he realizes that a group of girls is one row over debating the exact same thing. They head back to the common room, wondering where Hermione is, but don't even make it through the portrait hole before she comes running up behind them. She insists they follow her and leads them back through the castle to a corridor Harry has never been through before. It's brightly lit by torches and decorated with paintings of food. 
Harry realizes that she's leading them to the kitchens, and the boys worry that she's trying to rope them into more spew stuff. She insists that she's not doing that, they just need to see what she found. She grabs Harry's arm and pulls him in front of a picture of a gigantic fruit bowl. She reaches out and tickles the pear, which chuckles and turns into a large green door handle. Opening the door, she forces Harry inside and he immediately hears something squeak his name as it hurls across the room and hugs him around his waist. Harry is surprised to find Dobby the house elf there and looks down at the little elf to see his enormous green eyes brimming with tears of happiness since Harry Potter has come to see him. He looks exactly as Harry remembers him, but his clothes are very different. Since instead of a dirty pillowcase, the elf is wearing a strange assortment, including a tea cozy as a hat, a horseshoe pattern tie over a bare chest, child soccer shorts, and mismatched socks, one being the very sock Harry freed him with. Harry learns that Dobby started working at Hogwarts with Winky as he leads the trio over to a dirty and very emotional elf sitting by the fire. When Harry says hello to her, she starts crying and nothing they could say comforted her. Dobby offers Harry a cup of tea, and when he accepts, about six house elves immediately appear with a silver tray of tea and a large plate of biscuits. Ron is impressed with the service and delights the elves with his compliment. Dobby hands out the tea, and Harry asks him how long he's been there. It's only been a week and a half after Dobby had been struggling to find work since he wanted to be paid. Hermione is pleased with Dobby for this, but the other house elves look away, embarrassed at his words, and start edging away. Dobby continues explaining that he went to visit his friend Winky and found out she was also freed, so the two of them went to Dumbledore to find work together. Dumbledore agreed to pay Dobby, so he gets a galleon a week and one day off each month. Hermione doesn't think that's very much, and Dobby admits that Dumbledore offered him 10 galleons a week and weekends off, but he beat him down. Dobby likes being free, but he likes work better. Hermione asks Winky how much she's getting paid, and her tears break off into fury as she insists that she's a disgraced elf, but not sunk so low to getting paid, saying she is properly ashamed of being freed. Hermione tries to convince the elf that it's Mr. Crouch who should be ashamed since he was so horrible to her, but Winky doesn't want to hear anything bad about her master and clamps her hands over her ears. Dobby explains that she's having trouble adjusting and forgets that she's no longer bound to her master and allowed to speak her mind. Part of the enslavement is that they can't speak ill of their family, though Professor Dumbledore told Dobby that they are free to call him a barmy old codger if they like. He gives a frightened giggle and goes on to say that he doesn't want to because he likes Dumbledore very much. Harry grins and asks what he can say about the Malfoys now, and Dobby looks a little scared but calls them bad, dark wizards, then runs to a nearby table and starts banging his head against it. Harry stops him and tells him that he just needs a bit of practice, which again enrages Winky, who shames him for speaking badly about his masters. Dobby insists that they aren't his masters anymore so he doesn't care, and Winky calls him a bad elf worrying about what Mr. Crouch is doing without her and worrying again about the shame of being freed when her whole family served the Crouches. Hermione tries to comfort her again, letting her know that they've seen him and he seems fine, explaining that he and Mr. Bagman are both judges for the Triwizard Tournament. 
Winky calls Mr. Bagman a bad wizard, but refuses to say any more since she keeps her master's secrets. She begins to cry again, and they can't get any more out of her, so they just finish their tea and chat with Dobby about the sweater he wants to buy with his wages. Ron delights Dobby by offering the elf the sweater his mom knits him for Christmas, saying it'll match his tea cozy. They prepare to leave, and many elves keep swarming them with food to take back upstairs. Hermione looks pained, but Ron and Harry line their pockets with cream cakes and pies. They thank Dobby, who asks if he can visit Harry sometimes, and beams when Harry says of course. They leave, and Ron comments on how easy it actually is to nick food from the kitchens when he used to be so impressed with Fred and George. Hermione says that she thinks Dobby being there is the best thing that could happen to the other elves, but Harry says hopefully they don't look too closely at Winky. Hermione is sure she will cheer up, and they talk about how much she loves Crouch but seems to hate Bagman. She figures Crouch said he's not a very good head of department and says that he has a point. Ron insists that he'd rather work for Bagman than Crouch because at least he has a sense of humor. Hermione smiles and tells him not to let Percy hear him say that. Ron starts eating a chocolate eclair and says that Percy wouldn't want to work with someone who has a sense of humor. He wouldn't know a joke if it danced naked in front of him wearing Dobby's tea cozy. The movie scene starts in the Gryffindor common room with Harry holding the golden egg up in the air for his fellow housemates to see. As they all clap and cheer, Fred and George lift him onto their shoulders, and Harry tosses the egg into the crowd. The twins tell him that they knew he wouldn't die, maybe lose an arm or a leg, but never pack it in altogether. Dean Thomas holds the egg as several people crowd around it to get a closer look. He passes it off to Seamus, who yells for everyone to shush before kissing it and asking Harry what the clue is. He passes the golden egg back to Harry, who holds it up in the air again and asks who wants him to open it. When they all cheer, he repeats the question, and after more cheering, he turns a sort of latch on the top of the egg, causing it to open in three sections. The twins drop Harry, and everyone screams and covers their ears as a loud screeching sound fills the common room. Harry quickly closes the egg back up, and the camera focuses on Ron as he walks in the room and loudly wonders what the bloody hell that was. The camera cuts back to Harry, and the whole common room goes silent and looks towards Ron. One of the twins breaks up the awkward moment by telling everyone to go back to their knitting. Ron walks towards Harry and the dispersing group of people and tells him that he reckons he'd have to be barking mad to put his own name in the Goblet of Fire. Harry gives a sassy response about how long it took him to catch on to that, and Ron points out that he wasn't the only one who thought that. Everyone was saying it behind Harry's back. Harry says that this news doesn't make him feel any better, and Ron says that he at least warned Harry about the dragons. Harry reminds him that Hagrid told him about the dragons, and Ron insists that it was him, because he told Hermione to tell him that Seamus told him that Parvati told Dean that Hagrid was looking for him. Seamus never actually told him anything, so it was Ron the whole time, and he thought they'd be alright after he figured that out. Harry just gives him a deadpan look and asks him, who could have figured that out? It's completely mental. Ron agrees that it was and defends himself, saying he was a bit distraught. The camera focuses on Hermione as she shakes her head and whispers, Boys, as Angelina and Ginny both watch with dumbfounded expressions on their faces. So this was a fairly short movie section, Mm -hmm. meaning most of what we have to talk about was left out of the movie. Yeah. Even the bit that does correspond is a bit different from how the book had it, which is a huge shock, I know. Oh, yeah, huge. 
In the book, Ron, Harry, and Hermione make their way to the Owlery that evening so Harry can use Pigwidgeon to send Sirius a letter, letting him know he got past his dragon with no problem. Harry tells Ron what Sirius had told him about Karkaroff, and Ron says that makes sense with what Draco said on the train about his father and Karkaroff being buds. And they were probably running around together in masks at the World Cup. That sounds awesome. And completely logical. Right? <laughs> For Ron, it is, really. Right? Ron says that if Karkaroff is the one who put Harry's name in, he probably feels really stupid now since Harry wasn't hurt. <laughs> Yet. Right. One down, <laughs> two to go. Yeah. There's plenty of time. <laughs> Ron grabs Pigwidgeon, who's flying around Harry's head like a maniac because he's a little nutcase, and holds him still for Harry to tie the letter on. He goes on to say that there's no way the other tasks could be more dangerous than dragons, and he thinks Harry really could win the tournament. Wow, Ron is not thinking logically at no, all. No, not even a little bit. <laughs> Harry appreciates this sentiment, but also thinks Ron's just making up for his behavior the past few weeks, which probably. I mean, that tracks. Sure. Hermione, on the other hand, <laughs> thinks that if dragons were the first task, what comes next can't be good. And points out that Harry still has a long way to go. So there's the logic. Right. There's the realist. <laughs> As usual. Although, according to Ron, she's more of a pessimist. And he well... jokingly tells her that she should get together with Professor Trelawney with that positive attitude <laughs> before he throws Pigwidgeon out the window. The tiny owl is weighed down by Harry's letter because he couldn't resist filling it with every swerve, circle, and dodge with the horn tail. Of course. Could you imagine if Pigwidgeon had to deliver the movie version? Oh, Lord. <laughs> He'd be like plummet strange in the ground. <laughs> like, He'd uh, never be able to move. Ron, I owe you a new owl. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't have been able to like move to even try to take off to begin with. He'd just been stuck on the windowsill. Like. But Ron threw him out the window. Well, that's worse. <laughs> true however that's not what happened and in the book pigwidgeon pulls himself up again and the three watch him disappear into the darkness yay pigwidgeon yay <laughs> ron says they better get to harry's surprise party good job with that one there <laughs> way to keep the surprise what a surprise <laughs> because he figures fred and george have filched enough food from the kitchens by now i gotta say though if i'm going to a party and fred and george are in charge of the snacks i might stay away uh just I might saying. just not eat the snacks. Yeah. I might watch other people eat the snacks. There you go. It would definitely be good people watching. Yes. <laughs> the Gryffindor common room explodes with cheers and yells when they enter. Cakes and pumpkin juice and butterbeer are on every surface. And the air is filled with stars and sparks from the filibuster fireworks that Lee Jordan has set off. Dean Thomas made some impressive banners because he's good at drawing. Mm-hmm. Mostly showing Harry zooming around on his firebolts, but also Cedric with his head on fire. Uh, I want to feel bad, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> this is basically where the movie starts lining up, though it shockingly isn't quite the same. What? I know. You want to hear the differences? Sure. Here they are. <laughs> it's kind of what we do here. Yeah, it's kind of our thing. <laughs> The scene starts in the Gryffindor common room with Harry holding the golden egg up in the air like a douchebag for his adoring fans slash fellow housemates to see. They all clap and cheer as Fred and George lift him onto their shoulders. Harry tosses the egg to someone in the crowd to show off his pretty new shiny toy. Shiny! Shiny! 
because that boy's a niffler. Mm-hmm. He just it's is. gold. He loves it. Mm-hmm. He's a fan. I'm surprised he tossed it. Like no mine. My precious. <laughs> <laughs> the twins tell him that they knew he wouldn't die. Maybe lose an arm or a leg, but pack it in altogether? Never! (laughs) Dean Thomas holds the egg as several people crowd around it to get a closer look. He passes it off to Seamus, because, you know, they're besties. Right. (laughs) And he yells for everyone to shush before kissing it, as only Seamus can, and asking Harry what the clue is. He's got to practice somewhere. He does. Aw, Seamus. But yeah, there are definitely more details in the book oh by far harry helps himself to the food Mm -hmm. he's feeling properly hungry for the first time in a long time and he gets to sit with ron and hermione which he hasn't gotten to do in a while Mm -hmm. the old gang's back together (laughs) he can't believe how happy he is to be with his friends and not to have to face the next task for three months I mean, that's got to be a weight off your shoulders. Right. That's future Harry's problem. Right. That's not my problem. <laughs> In the book, it's Lee Jordan who picks up the golden egg because Harry just left it on a table. Again, bad Niffler. Right. And he remarks how heavy it is before telling Harry to open it up and see what's inside. Hermione quickly says tournament rules state that Harry's supposed to figure out the clue on his own. And Harry whispers to her that he was supposed to figure out how to get past the dragon alone, too. (laughs) And she gives a guilty grin. Because she knows he's right. Yeah, he's right. (laughs) Lee hands Harry the egg and he works it open with his fingernails. In the movie, Seamus passes the golden egg back to Harry, who holds it up in the air again and asks who wants him to open it. When they all cheer, he repeats the question, enjoying the attention just a wee bit too much, if we're being honest. And after more cheering, he unlatches the catch on the egg, causing it to open into three sections. The description of the egg in the book makes it seem like it simply opens in half instead of how the movie had it. It's also hollow and empty. Mm -hmm. But a horrible, loud, screeching wail that reminds Harry of the awful ghost orchestra at Nearly Headless Nick's death day party fills the room. He slams the egg shut again, and Seamus says it sounded like a banshee. So maybe that's the next task. Oh, that would freak me the hell out. Right? (laughs) However, Neville thinks it sounds like someone being tortured, and his theory is that he's going to have to fight the Cruciatus curse. I mean, Neville is essentially predisposed to think everything is going to end in torture, so... And that would probably be his greatest fear. Yeah, for sure. But George calls him a prat and reminds him that it's illegal and they wouldn't put the Cruciatus curse on the champions. I mean, what would really stop them? It's illegal. <laughs> the ministry's right there. They'd literally have to arrest him for doing it. Unless the ministry's the one doing it. But they can't. It's illegal. <laughs> I'm sure sicking a dragon on children isn't very legal. Maybe it's legal, just frowned upon. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. In the movie, the egg also sends everyone batshit as the twins understandably drop Harry and everyone screams and covers their ears when an ear-piercing shriek fills the common room. However, there is no speculation as to what the sound could be. Harry just screams, ah, delete, delete, (laughs) and quickly closes the egg back up and the camera focuses on Ron as he walks in the room with his duck hunt gun for some reason and loudly wonders what the bloody hell that was. This part did not happen in the book because it already happened in the last chapter in a 
nearly completely different fashion. Yeah. They don't even have duck hunt at Hogwarts. <laughs> <laughs> the camera cuts back to Harry and the whole common room goes silent and looks towards Ron. One of the twins breaks up the awkward moment by telling everyone to go back to their knitting. It was obviously Fred. George. Fred. George. George. Fred. Fuck. <laughs> it was a twin. Everyone pretends to do so, but y'all know they are dropping some serious eaves. <laughs> like, everyone's listening to that combo. I don't even think they were dropping the eaves. I think they were just blatantly <laughs> popcorn. Right. It's a Michael Jackson meme. <laughs> exactly. Ron walks towards Harry with his tail between his legs and tells him that he reckons he'd have to be friggin' insane to do this to himself. Which is basically what Ron said to Harry at the end of last chapter. And it's true, so right. there's that. <laughs> Harry sasses Ron about how long it took him to catch on to that, and Ron points out that he wasn't the only one who thought that. Like, everyone else was being a dick and saying it behind his back. Were they behind his back, I mean, really, exactly. <laughs> everyone was just saying it, period, weren't they? And in the book, everybody thought mm -hmm. that he put his name in, so that wasn't... Yeah. Sure, okay, Ron. Make excuses. Right. Well, he's just trying to make himself look better, but... It ain't working, guy. <laughs> because Harry is less than comforted by this news. And Ron says that he at least warned Harry about the dragons. Harry reminds him that Hagrid told him about the dragons. And Ron insists that it was him, since he told Hermione to yada 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 blah 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 and whatnot. But really, Seamus never actually said shit. So it was Ron the whole time. And he thought they'd be alright after he figured that out. That Seamus said that Dean told him that Parvati said that Hagrid was looking for him. Yeah, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. Like I just said. <laughs> exactly. I literally just said that. Come on, <laughs> Ellen. <laughs> Harry just stares and is like, are you fucking kidding me? That is some ridiculous shit and no one in their right mind would have worked that out. Like, there's no way. Who could possibly figure that out? It's completely mental. <laughs> Ron begrudgingly agrees. But channels his inner moaning Myrtle, telling Harry that he was distraught. Because <laughs> that's an excellent reason to turn your back on your bestie. Which also did not happen in the book. What? I mean, the turning his back on his bestie part did. Yeah. But this yeah. whole excuse about being distraught. Yeah. <laughs> and the whole bizarre game of telephone. Because Hagrid just delivered his own damn message. Mm -hmm. Without Ron's involvement in the least. Yeah, because Hagrid can do his own shit. Thank you. But the camera focuses on Hermione as she shakes her head and verbalizes exactly what every female is thinking by whispering, Boys. 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 <laughs> Dumbasses. Boys. <laughs> as Angelina and Ginny shake their heads and look on in astonishment. Which is a pale pale ghost of Hermione's reaction in the book <laughs> where she bursts into tears calls them both stupid hugs them and runs off positively howling because girls <laughs> <laughs> definitely girls just that would be me right would legitimately be me <laughs> like yay I'm gonna go cry now <laughs> It's actually one of the rare moments where the book is more dramatic than the movie. It's kind of yeah. fun, actually. <laughs> Few and far between, but it happens. Yeah. 
However, this is where the movie section ends. So see ya. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'll stick around. <laughs> <laughs> Which basically cuts out all of the book chapter. Because mm-hmm. there's still a lot to go. I'm going to go take a nap. No, you're not. You're going to talk to me. Oh, okay. Since the party wasn't interrupted with Ron and Harry's reconciliation, there were plenty of other shenanigans afoot. (laughs) Fred offers Hermione a jam tart, and when she eyes the plate doubtfully, he says he hasn't done anything to them. Oh, sure. He starts to warn her off the custard creams as Neville takes a bite into one and then chokes and spits it out. Fred laughs and tells Neville it was just a joke. It's never just a joke with Fred and George. It's never just a joke. Mm-mm. And I still don't know that I would trust him and take a tart, but Hermione does. Yeah. And she asks Fred if they got everything from the kitchens. He says they did and that the house elves are very helpful. She wonders how they got in and Fred tells her about a door hidden behind a painting of a bowl of fruit, but stops mid-sentence and asks her why she wants to know. She quickly says, nothing. (laughs) And it's never nothing. Mm -mm. And George asks if she's going to try to stir the house elves into rebellion. I kind of want to see the house elf picket line. The house elf picket line. I kind of do. Title. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) The idea makes several people laugh and Hermione doesn't answer. Fred tells her she'll put them off their cooking and just then Neville turns into a large canary. Even more laughter erupts and Fred shouts over the noise that he was sorry it was the custard creams they hexed. Silly twin. How could we forget that? Oh, golly. Oops, I dropped these toffees on the floor. (laughs) (laughs) Within a minute, though, Neville's molted and he looks normal again and even joins in the laughter. Fred shouts to the crowd that they are canary creams that he and George invented and are a bargain at seven sickles each. Which was our trivia question. Yep. When Harry, Ron, Neville, Seamus, and Dean finally make their way to their dormitory, it's nearly one in the morning. Harry sets his model of the Hungarian horntail on the table next to his bed before pulling the curtains shut and thinking to himself that Hagrid has a point. Dragons really are all right. Yeah, when you got a broom to get the fuck away from him. Right? <laughs> and Carly was wondering whatever happened to the little model after this. Mm-hmm. Because he puts it on his table and then never, ever sees it ever again. Hmm. It's never mentioned ever again. I like to believe it flew away. Maybe it's like leprechaun gold and it's it just disappeared. <laughs> you just like the idea of like little mini dragons flying around. <laughs> the beginning of December brings wind and sleet. And even though the castle is drafty in the winter, Harry's thankful every time he sees the Durmstrang ship tossing on the lake. And he also imagines that the Bobaton's carriage is probably chilly as well. He also notices that Hagrid is providing plenty of single malt whiskey for Madame Maxime's horses. Where's he getting all of it though, man? It's a lot of whiskey. I wonder if you can just like replenish it. Obviously Hagrid might not be able to. Maybe. I guess. But he could just... Still a lot of fucking whiskey. Oh, it's running low. Replenish. (laughs) Dumbledore, I need more whiskey. So wait, Jesus was just a wizard? Maybe. (laughs) Water into wine was just 
So, so you're telling me he could have turned water into whiskey? That's just, come on. <laughs> yeah. No, I was thinking that he had whiskey and just kept making more of it appear. Ah, uh, I guess. Because that's what Harry was able to do with the bottle of wine they opened in the sixth movie. True. Now, Hagrid probably wouldn't be able to do that himself, but he did do an engorgement charm on the pumpkin, so he could have. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Moving on. Harry is very well aware of this whiskey because the fumes keep wafting up from the trough <laughs> and just making the entire Care of Magical Creatures class lightheaded. Ooh. From just being around the whiskey. That's some good whiskey. Must be. And a lot of it. Single malt. Right? Now, being lightheaded wouldn't be a problem if they weren't still tending the scroots. Yeah. Which absolutely required them to keep their wits about them. Hagrid isn't sure if the creatures hibernate, but suggests they try to settle the remaining ten scroots into boxes lined with pillows and fluffy blankets. Excellent idea for things that shoot fire. Right? And stick them in the forest, too, while you're at it. <laughs> or the library. Yes. <laughs> they soon find out that the scroots do not hibernate, nor do they appreciate being stuffed and nailed into boxes. <laughs> well, that's a coffin, isn't it? Pretty much, yeah. I can actually understand where the scroots are coming from on that one. They might be claustrophobic. Maybe. The scroots rampage around the pumpkin patch, and most of the class barricade themselves into Hagrid's cabin while Harry, Ron, and Hermione help Hagrid tie up the scroots. Makes sense. Yeah. Data tracks. Mm-hmm. They manage to get nine scroots rounded up. And while they're working to get the tenth under control, Rita Skeeter shows up and remarks that it looks like fun. I feel it was more like of a, oh, this looks fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Hagrid slips a rope on the last scroot and asks her who she is. When she introduces herself, Hagrid says that he thought Dumbledore had banned her from the school. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> the reporter decides just to ignore this and asks what the creatures are called. Where do they come from? Hagrid's face begins to flush, and Hermione begins to worry that Hagrid has done something illegal. What? Hagrid never does anything illegal. Never. Especially not involving dangerous animals. Never. Never ever. Okay, maybe once. Or twice. Third time's the charm! <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Hermione remarks loudly that they are very interesting and steps on Harry's foot, asking him by name if he agrees. Dick move. I understand the point, but still. Like, oh, look, Rita, Harry's here. Harry's <laughs> here. Leave Hagrid alone and talk to Harry. <laughs> Harry's here. <laughs> Which works. What do you think about that, Harry James Potter? Fourth wizard in the Triwizard Tournament? Hmm? Hmm? It certainly works, mm -hmm. because Rita looks around, and when she sees Harry, she asks him if he enjoys Care of Magical Creatures, and he says yes, and he does this kind of defiantly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she then asks Hagrid if he's been teaching long, and looks around at the other students standing there who have minor injuries before she notices the rest of them hiding in Hagrid's cabin. I mean, that doesn't necessarily say that anything bad happened. Maybe they just wanted some tea. Mm-hmm. 
She asks if Hagrid would like to give an interview for the Prophet's Wednesday zoological column, and Hagrid eagerly agrees. Oh, bad call. Bad call, Hagrid. Bad call. Backtrack, backtrack. <laughs> delete, delete, delete. <laughs> <laughs> Harry has a bad feeling. Hermione thinks it'll be fine as long as he didn't get the scroots illegally. That's a big ol' if there, Hermione. Uh-huh. Holy shit. And Ron says... The worst that could happen is Hagrid will have to get rid of the scroots. I'm sorry. Did I say worst? I meant best. <laughs> and they all laugh as well as they head to lunch. Oh, I love Ron. <laughs> Maybe not that logical, but funny. Mm-hmm. He's got his moments. That's for sure. Not in the movie, but in the book, yes. Yes. <laughs> With Harry and Ron friends again, Double Divination is thoroughly enjoyable. The two joke and snigger throughout Professor Trelawney's lecture, and she becomes irritated with the pair that she had been so pleased with when they had been predicting their own horrible deaths. She chastises them and says they would not be so amused if they had seen what she saw in the crystal ball. Death circling like a vulture, closer and closer. Okay, but I don't get why she was so pleased with them predicting their own horrible deaths because none of those deaths have happened. So they were pretty shitty predictions. Okay, but do any of her predictions actually happen? No. I mean, that's debatable. You could also argue that because of the way the future works, the fact that they predicted these were going to happen ahead of time using divination means they were able to avoid it actually happening. That's a big old if there, Hermione. <laughs> Anywho, the pair leaves divination and Harry remarks that it would have been impressive if she hadn't done the same thing 80 times before because he'd be a medical miracle if he died every time she predicted he would. I mean, he's already a kind of a miracle, so, you know, throw that in there too. An extra concentrated ghost. <laughs> Harry and Ron head to dinner, but Hermione isn't there and she isn't in the library where they look for her afterward. The only person they do see is Victor Crumb, and while Ron debates asking him for an autograph, he notices a group of girls in the next row over thinking the same thing and decides against it. Good call, Ron. Ron and his fangirling. Mm-hmm. They go back to Gryffindor Tower, and Ron wonders where she is when Hermione runs up behind them in a frenzy and says they have to come see the most amazing thing that's happened. Is it the most amazing thing, though, Hermione? Let's find out. Well, okay. She grabs Harry's arm and pulls him along, Ron and Harry exchanging a look before they hurry off down the corridor with her. She leads them toward the door Cedric had gone through the night his and Harry's names had come out of the Goblet of Fire. <laughs> that old corridor. That old corridor. Harry's never been through there before, and he expected it to be gloomy like the passage to Snape's dungeon. But the corridor is bright with torches and cheerful paintings of food that line the walls. That's fun. It makes him realize that Hermione's taking them to the kitchens. I'm surprised he was able to deduce that. Because <laughs> it's Harry. Yeah, he has his moments. <laughs> and he like nudges Ron and is just like, look, look, <clears throat> do you know what's happening? And Ron says she's trying to get them to do spew stuff again, causing Hermione to insist she isn't and insist that it's not spew. I mean, but isn't it, though? 
oh, did you change it to the House Elf Liberation Front? <laughs> and that's where we get the chapter title. Mm-hmm. Hermione stops in front of a painting of a giant fruit bowl and tickles a pear, which turns into a large green door handle. She pulls the door open and immediately pushes Harry through. He sees something hurtling towards him that happens to be squeaking his name before reaching him and hugging him tightly. Hmm. Harry Potter. Who could this be? Harry realizes that it's Dobby. Dobby! And when he says the house house's name, Dobby says he hoped he would see Harry Potter, but Harry Potter came to see him. <laughs> Dobby, you I adorable Dobby. little fucker, you. I'm so mad that we didn't get another scene with Dobby mm-hmm. here. I agree. I very much agree. He steps back and looks at Harry with his huge green eyes filled with tears of happiness. He's like a PG golem. I love him. (laughs) Harry thinks that Dobby looks exactly how he remembered, except the clothes Dobby are wearing are the strangest combination he has ever seen. Dobby's just ahead of his time. He is. A tea cozy for a hat. Mm Mm-hmm. Bare chested with a tie. That's pretty badass. Well, sexy. Just saying. Soccer shorts. Oh, baby. What's up? Mismatched socks. That's totally in now. It, it really is. It's a thing. Harry notices that one of Dobby's socks is the black one that Harry had used to trick Nazi von Duschbeck the first into freeing him. I mean, I would save that one, too. For damn sure. That one's got a little special place in his heart. Mm-hmm. And on his feet. And on his foot. <laughs> Dobby tells Harry that Dumbledore gave him and Winky jobs at Hogwarts and leads them to a fireplace where Winky is sitting alone. Aww. And she's dressed very, very nicely. Mm-hmm. She's got like a neat little hat that her ears poke through. And it's like a matching skirt and a blouse. But it's all like super dirty. And there's like soup spilled down the front. And she's all dirty. And then when Harry says hi to her, she just starts crying like she did at the Quidditch World Cup. Aww. Yeah, so sad. Poor Winky. The trio tries unsuccessfully to console her. And Dobby just completely ignores her and smiles at Harry and offers him tea. <laughs> like, yeah, don't worry. We're used to this by now. And Dobby's like, she does this. It'll be fine. <laughs> Want tea? It's like a thing. <laughs> Harry accepts Dobby's offer. And instantly about six house elves come over with tea and biscuits for Harry, Ron, and Hermione. Ron comments on the good service. And the house elves look delighted as they bow and leave them with their tea and biscuits. That is some excellent service, I gotta say. Appear instantly. Although Hermione is not pleased with Ron for being like, good service. Well, I mean, what are you supposed to say to him, though? Like, thank you. That's essentially saying thank you. It is. Hey, good job. I mean, that's what I want to hear for doing my fucking job. Right? (laughs) Harry asks Dobby how long he's been at Hogwarts, and he says it's only been a week, and that it's very difficult for a house elf to find work after being dismissed. He tells them that he'd been looking for work for two years, but hadn't found any since he wanted to be paid. The house elves that had been listening and watching them all look away like Dobby said something rude. Paying? Oh my stars! (laughs) Let me clutch my little house elf pearls! (laughs) How dare you say something so taboo, Dobby? Exactly. (laughs) However, Hermione commends Dobby for this 
And while he continues to talk about being freed and paid, the other house elves start moving away. Aw, he's like the little outsider. Yeah, little outcast elf. Only Winky, who is sobbing even more loudly now, remains where she is. Dobby says that he'd gone to visit his friend Winky, and when he found out she had been freed too, he decided they should find jobs together. He says that the idea to come to Hogwarts came to him, and that Dumbledore even offered to pay him if he wanted. He proudly says that he gets a galleon a week and one day off a month, and Hermione's upset by this because that's not very much. I mean, when you go from making nothing to right. a galleon, that's not bad. But Dobby tells her that Dumbledore had first offered him 10 galleons a week and weekends off, but he beat him down. You go, Dobby. Right? You go for what you want. <laughs> <laughs> he says that he likes being free, but likes working more. I love that his day off is essentially like his worst day <laughs> because he likes working so much. I feel like that should really say something to Hermione. Right? But no, apparently not. Hermione turns to Winky and asks her how much Dumbledore is paying her, thinking this is going to cheer her up. <laughs> Sometimes Hermione's not that smart. No. She has her moments too. Nah. Winky stops crying, but only because she's now furious. Mm-hmm. And she squeaks that she's a disgraced elf, but not low enough to accept pay, and that she's properly ashamed of being freed. Oh, damn. Shots fired, Winky. Shit. Hermione insists that Mr. Crouch should be the one who's ashamed, but Winky covers her ears and yells that she is not insulting her master, that Mr. Crouch is a good wizard and Winky is bad. That's some PTSD right there. That's some Stockholm. Right. That's what I hear. Seriously. Mm-hmm. Dobby tells them that Winky is not adjusting well and that even though she can speak her mind freely now, she won't. Hmm. He explains that part of the house elves' enslavement is to keep their master's secrets and their own silence. But Dumbledore said he doesn't insist on this and that they can, if they want, call him a barmy old codger. <laughs> this is why I love Dumbledore. You know Dobby says it just to say it, right? <laughs> like, here's your tea, your barmy old codger. Except for the fact that instead he anxiously giggles and tells them that he won't because he likes Dumbledore very much and is proud to keep his secrets. But he'll say it in like a nice way because it's Dobby. He will certainly tell the story about how he's allowed to call him a barmy old codger. True. Very true. Harry asks if Dobby can say what he wants about the Von bags, which makes him a little afraid at first. But he squares up and says that they are bad, dark wizards. You tell him, Dobby. He's also shaking after this and runs to a table where he begins banging his head very hard. Dobby, we were doing so well. Right? <laughs> Harry pulls him away from the table and says that he just needs a bit of practice, which infuriates Winky again, and she shames Dobby for talking about his masters that way. I mean, chill the hell out, Winky. <laughs> just chill the fuck out. I mean, just chill out, man. <laughs> Dude. Dobby tells her that they aren't his masters anymore and he doesn't care what they think. Winky calls him a bad elf and worries what Mr. Crouch is doing without her, saying her mother and grandmother all served the Crouches and they would be so ashamed if they knew she'd been freed. Well, it's a good thing they don't know. Hermione says that she's sure Mr. Crouch is fine and that he and Mr. Bagman are both judges for the Quad Wizard Tournament. 
Winky brightens at the mention of her former master, but says that Mr. Bagman is a bad wizard and her master doesn't like him at all. Harry tries to ask her what she means, but she says that she keeps her master's secrets. Okay, but what if it's technically Mr. Bagman's secret? That's a good point. Like, can she tell that? I mean, just saying. Probably not if she learned the secret from Crouch. True. Or in the presence of Crouch, maybe. Anyway, this sets her off again. (laughs) She starts crying all over again, and they decide to leave her to it, finishing their tea and chatting with Dobby. He tells them that he plans to buy a sweater with his wages, and Ron tells him that he'll give him the one his mom makes him for Christmas, much to Dobby's delight. Aww. Like all of us, Ron has fallen in love with Dobby. (laughs) As the trio are leaving, they are surrounded by house elves offering up snacks to take with them. Hermione refuses and looks pained by their toadying, but Ron and Harry load up on cream cakes and pies. Like they do. I would too. (laughs) As they leave, they thank Dobby, who asks Harry if he can visit him sometimes. Harry tells him of course he can, and Dobby beams as they leave. When they're near the entrance hall again, Ron remarks that he's always been impressed with Fred and George for nicking food from the kitchens. But really, it wasn't hard at all. No. They essentially throw it at you. (laughs) Shoving it down their throats. (laughs) Eat my cooking! (laughs) Hermione says that Dobby coming to work there is the best thing for the other house elves because they will see how happy he is to be free and they will want it too. And Harry's just like, unless they take a closer look at Winky. Yeah. (laughs) But Hermione says she'll cheer up when she realizes she's better off without Crouch. I think she was better off without Crouch, but that doesn't necessarily mean she's better off free. Yeah, I don't know. That's a tough one. Mm -hmm. Like I said, we should do an episode just on elves sometime because... Mm -hmm. Like a deep dive. Yeah, there's just so many layers to this that she's so distraught. You want her to have a master. And you want her to go back to Crouch even because that's who she wants. Right, that's where she... at the same time... That's where she wants to be, but... He's very toxic. Right. <laughs> As it seems most house elf owners are. Right. From what we've seen. Can't say for every house elf. But the Hogwarts house elves are happy. So you want her to be happy at Hogwarts. Right. You know? Right. So. Anyways, Harry wonders what Crouch said about Bagman for Winky to call him a bad wizard. Which makes Hermione say he probably says that he is in a very good head of department. Which. Not wrong. Right. <laughs> Data tracks. (laughs) Can't sue him for slander. But Ron says he would rather work for Bagman than Crouch because at least he has a sense of humor. They joke that he shouldn't let Percy hear him say that. And Ron says that Percy wouldn't want to work for someone with a sense of humor anyway since he wouldn't know a joke if it danced naked in front of him wearing Dobby's tea cozy. God, I love that line. Oh, I love that line so much. It's so random. Yeah. It's amazing. And I feel like that's the only reason why Dobby was wearing a tea cozy, so she could make that comment. Right. If I had to pinpoint an exact reason why I'm so pissed the house elves were left out of this movie, it's that line. (laughs) I'm with you. (laughs) Well, since the movie section was so short, we're going to move right on to our Potter Ponderings. Which is... 
What do you think about how the book left out Dobby and Winky's jobs at Hogwarts? You know how we feel. Mm -hmm. So how is it that you feel? As well as the development of Weasley's wizard wheezes. (laughs) That's just fun to say. Weasley's wizard wheezes. Weasley's wizard wheezes. Weasley's wizard wheezes. Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. We really look forward to reading them. This will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from Michaela Miller. She writes, Hi, I'm Michaela Miller. I'm a proud Ravenclaw. My wand is Elmwood with a phoenix feather core, 12 inches long, and my Patronus is a dolphin. My Harry Potter journey started with the Philosopher's Stone movie. After watching it, I became so hooked that I started reading the books right after, and I have loved every minute of it since. My favorite book is Philosopher's Stone because you start out with what looks like an ordinary story, a.k.a. boring, but then you go straight into the magical world of Hogwarts. Bam! Magic! I have seen Cursed Child twice in Melbourne and loved every magical second of it. My brother Jackson first introduced me to the podcast as he was listening to the Prisoner of Azkaban section, and as soon as I heard you guys, I loved it. You guys are awesome and funny, and I love the comparisons. I can't wait to hear more as I slowly catch up. Aww. Thank you so much. (laughs) We are so glad to have you listening and love to read your Sorting Hat story, Michaela. Yeah, thank you. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. Or you can message it to us over social media. Yep. And now for the trivia question. This week's trivia question is, what was the Gryffindor password changed to during the holiday season? The first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word hashtag fat lady will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at justkeeprolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. Make sure to check out our website at justkeeprolling.com And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you would like to help us continue creating more content, you can support us as a patron and get extra perks on patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. We also wanted to give a shout out to our keeper, Renee. While we were in Harry Potter World at Universal Studios Orlando, we were waiting in line to get on the Hogwarts Express and somebody yelled out my name. Mm -hmm. which was quite possibly one of the most surreal moments that I have experienced because I thought it was somebody from our group. There were 10 of us. Right. And then I'm like, no, wait, that wasn't anybody I know. And it was Renee from New York who was just like, I listened to your podcast. And I was like, oh, my God, we got recognized. Well, the funny part was it was actually her husband that shouted for us because she wanted to know if it was us, but was too timid. And she, like, didn't want to make a big scene. So her husband was like, Ellen, Katie. (laughs) 
And they were like, huh? Huh? Our name? It was so cool. And then we got to take a selfie with her. So I hope you post that picture and tag just keep rolling in it so we can have a copy of it as well. Yes. Please do. Yes, definitely. And it was awesome to meet you. Thank you so much for listening. Yes. You're awesome. And join us next week when we talk about Chapter 22, The Unexpected Task, and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just just keep keep rolling. rolling.